Hi, my name is Christian. My name is Seth. And thank you for joining us to hear our modern interpretation of one of the many ways in which nature is presented in the literature of the classical Greek world. In their time, the ancient Greeks were surrounded by vast amounts of Mediterranean nature. They lived off of the Mediterranean Sea's plentiful aquatic life and the fertile soils of the plains around it. The Greeks had no choice but to be very close to their environment, as it was a powerful force in their lives, able to feed them and provide the plethora of resources needed to found great Greek cities such as Athens and Sparta. This intimate connection between nature and humanity brought about a godly perception of nature to the Greeks. With the power to control the Greeks' lives, it follows that they would see their environment as divine. From this admiration and divine perspective of their environment, we often see nature come to life in their literature. It is not simply a backdrop. Nature is personified as literal, divine beings that have an immense influence on the plot and characters of ancient Greek works. This can be found in many ancient Greek works, but few exemplify this personification as well as Hesiod's Theogony. The Theogony is a Greek myth attempting to describe how everything known to man had been created. As mentioned before, it was composed by Hesiod, a Greek poet living around the 8th century BC. The Theogony is the most well-known of the genealogies of the Greek gods. The myth details the succession of rulers of the cosmos, from the initial nothingness, known as chaos, to the more familiar Olympians such as Zeus, Poseidon, Aphrodite, and many more. It even goes as far as to describe the children of one divine parent and one mortal parent, who become the heroes of many ancient epics. However, these characters represent more than just simple divine rulers. They are the personification of natural elements that surrounded the ancient Greeks from heaven to the underworld. For example, Earth is a powerful character in the Theogony, who birthed the sky and the sea, along with many other gods and monsters found throughout the ancient Greek literature. One of Earth's more interesting unions, however, might be said to be when the Earth and the sky birthed the Titans, along with 300 handed monsters and three Cyclops. After seeing his children, the sky had an intense hatred for them and fear of being overthrown, resulting in him hiding them away within their mother, the Earth. Earth did not share the hatred for her children, and begged her titan offspring to punish their father and fashion a sickle for her children to wield against him. Her son Kronos was the only of the children to accept, and he took the sickle to the sky's genitals, cutting them from his father and falling to the ground, and, in the words of Hesiod, Kronos threw them into the surging sea, even so they carried on the waves for a long time. About them a white foam grew from the immortal flesh, and in it a girl formed. This girl is revealed a few lines later to be Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Natural elements and deities continue to be created as the novel progresses in much the same way as mentioned before, with divinity either from the union of gods and goddesses or from the combination of divine elements in nature, such as the scene above and the blood from the genitals of the sky and the earth, which created the powerful giants and the Erinys, a vengeful group of female deities. In this poem, all of the most important aspects of the ancient Greeks' environment are presented as divine beings. Earth, sky, and sea are three of the most powerful beings in the cosmos described in the Theogony, corresponding with their immense effect on everyday Greek life. These elements control the lives of the Greeks, and consequently are personified throughout the poem as divine beings that created every aspect and creature in the natural world that surrounded them. While it is common to many ancient peoples to ponder the creation of the world, Nature's divinity plays a role of greater importance than most creation stories as natural elements become literal characters that interact and create the action of this poem. Nature holds such an importance in the Theogony that the form of the sea's waves was able to birth the Olympian goddess of love and fertility, Aphrodite. In that scene, two children of the earth, the sea and the sky, come together to create another great deity, 
helping shape the action in this poem as it moves forward. But also to be noted is the sheer power of the offspring of the sea and the sky. Aphrodite shows up countless times in ancient Greek literature, able to influence and seduce nearly any being she encounters. She is not simply a demigod that is mentioned quickly in a few stories. The sea and the sky must be important characters in order to birth her, and this was due to the importance these aspects of the ancient Greek environment held to the Greek people. They were vital enough to warrant their personification as incredibly powerful, nearly primordial beings. And there's definitely something to be said about Hesiod choosing the goddess of love to be born from the union of them as well, rather than any other of the many Greek gods. Of course. Love is often thought of as one of mankind's most powerful emotions. To imbue the product of the sea and the sky with such a profound human characteristic gives them a greater connection to humanity. While the sky's genitals and the sea's foam may not be an absolute source of love, there must be something within that pairing of pieces of the sky and the sea that the Greeks feel is deserving of creating love. In other words, the sea and the sky were looked at by the Greeks as a source of love. Or possibly, they felt a sort of love for those aspects of the environment that Hesiod wanted to reflect in the Theogony. That's definitely very possible. However, the Theogony is not nearly the only ancient Greek work where the personification of the natural world shows up. Homer's Iliad has an entire book, or what would today be better known as a chapter, that details the main character's battle with a river. For context, the Iliad is a story of the war between the Greeks and the Trojans, though his father on the 12th century BC. It was orally composed by Homer, a Greek poet who lived around the 10th century BC. The ancient Greek forces were led by their best fighter, the hero Achilles, while their enemy the Trojans were led by their strongest fighter Hector. Throughout the battle, divine intervention plays a key role in deciding the advances and retreats of each army. After exchanging victories and losses for the better part of the epic, the Greek takes the upper hand on the back of Achilles. During Achilles' rampant slaughter, Achilles encounters the previously mentioned river. One of the most prominent scenes in the Iliad begins as Achilles, who has just been sent into battle, slaughters dozens of Trojans on a river bank, and disposes of their bodies in that river. The river begins to get clogged with all of the dead bodies being thrown into it. The river then reveals itself as a sentient being known as the god Xanthus, asking Achilles to stop clogging it with corpses. Achilles agrees to stop throwing the bodies in the river, but continues to kill countless Trojans. The river then calls on Apollo to intervene and assist the Trojans out of its sympathy for them. However, as soon as Achilles hears the request, he retaliates by attacking the river. While Achilles is one of the most skilled fighters in the world, he is no match for the god's strength. Using its overpowering force, the river drags a wounded Achilles down the river to a floodplain. Achilles begs and pleads for the god to stop the merciless beating, and finally Hera, the wife of Zeus, intervenes. Her son, Hephaestus, is sent to save Achilles. Setting the floodplain aflame, the god boils the river until it begs for mercy and relents. So here, nature can be seen as a true character in the most literal sense. With the river actually attacking a character, it really seems to show the power within nature. That is very true. In this particular example, the Greeks demonstrated their admirability and divine perspective of nature by making the river come to life. Not only does the river simply come to life, but it plays a very influential role as a powerful character in the Iliad. If it were just simply a river, Achilles could pollute it with all the blood he wanted and there would be no consequences. However, the river in itself is depicted as a higher spiritual being and possessing a voice of its own. This goes along with the idea that the ancient Greeks felt nature, like rivers, were powerful, determining factors in their lives. Like many other aspects of nature, the river plays a critical role in the survival of the ancient Greeks. 
The river assists and sustains Greek life not only by giving them access to drinking water and fish, but also by allowing the Greeks to have a means of trade. Homer's choice of the personification of the river as having the power of a god in the scene represents this importance in Greek life. Even the strongest of Greek warriors is no match for it. Humanity in the scene it shows as inferior to their environment and subject to nature's will. There seems to be a clear hierarchy of power in this scene, with nature far above humanity. Exactly. Homer makes the river come to life and portrays the river as dominant over human beings to communicate its importance to the ancient Greek lives as well as their divine perspective of nature. The many rivers flowing throughout all of Greece clearly have an elevated spiritual status in the ancient Greeks' view. So where else in this scene does this divine, powerful view of nature that the Greeks possess separate their environment's divinity from humans? Well, the Greeks portray the gods as being extremely powerful deities. So powerful, in fact, that their portrayal makes them seem unconcerned with human life and mortals who are of much less power than them. At the end of the fight, when the river is begging for mercy from being boiled, the god Hera grants him mercy and tells Hephaestus to stop. Hera justifies putting a stop to the beating by saying, Hephaestus, stop. Stop, my glorious blazing boy. It's not right to batter another deathless god, not for the sake of these mortals. Not only does Greek literature portray the gods to possess greater power than humans, but in this quote by Hera, gods don't even seem to be threatened or concerned by the actions of mortals. According to Hera, there should be no instance where the well-being of the god is sacrificed to assist humans, especially not in the case where the river god fights Achilles in defense of the Trojans and consequently gets boiled by Hephaestus. Given this established claim by the Greeks that gods are much more powerful than humans, there's a certain level of respect and reverence between man and divine surrounding nature. The ancient Greeks recognize the divinity of nature and present that through the river god's amazingly powerful depiction in this epic. Had the river been unimportant in the eyes of the ancient Greeks, it would not be represented as such a strong force. The hierarchy of power established by the fight between the river god and Achilles further reinforces the Greeks' divine perspective and admiration for their environment. The Greeks clearly show unique reverence for the natural world that surrounds them through this scene. The river god is a powerful illustration of the unbounded power that could be found within their environment, and also that could be characterized as divine. These two ancient Greek works reveal the appreciation and respect that their environment deserves. In neither of these great pieces of ancient Greek literature is nature presented lightly or is something to be trampled over. Exactly. Nature in classical Greece had a great power over the Greek people. It undoubtedly was therefore given an elevated status in the ancient Greek beliefs. So, thank you very much for your time, and both Seth and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast in this journey through the modern perspective of nature in the classical world.